What's going on, y'all? Welcome back to another episode of the Struggle to Strength podcast, your source for real-life application on how to turn your struggles into strengths in all things mind, muscle, and money. I am your host, Josh Levine. I am joined here by my longtime friend and my co-host, Travis Hatch. And today, we're doing a deep dive on energy sources in the body. Do fats or carbohydrates produce more ATP? What is ATP? What is the most efficient fuel source for our activity? Stay tuned. You'll learn how and why. We also use the second half of this episode for a listener Q&A that led to some great and easily applicable information, so be sure to catch it all. We'd like to do more of these Q&As, so keep your eyes peeled for the Struggle to Strength question box on our socials. We'll be throwing those out every now and then. Stay tuned, all right? Before we get into it, we ask that if you love this episode, please give us five stars on Apple or a follow on Spotify. Share us on your socials. You can find me at Josh Levine Fitness, Travis at Travis Hawks Media. The links are in the show notes. Don't forget, you can now follow the podcast on Instagram. We've got tons of valuable clips on there for y'all, so go check it out. Be sure to share them to your stories. We really appreciate it. That's all. Get your notepads ready for this one. We'll see you inside. What would you give a shout out to James too? Yeah. Like in the podcast. <laughs> all right. Well, shout out to you, James. <laughs> all right. What are we talking about? Talking about carbs and fats. All right. So those of you who are listening, who are consistent listeners, first off, we appreciate you very much. Last week, we had a guest who alluded to the idea that fat creates more ATP in the body and is therefore the body's preferred source of energy. And I wanted to talk about that. And it threw me off guard last week because from my understanding, and I think from modern science's understanding, carbs are the body's preferred source of energy. I actually didn't know if fat produced more ATP. So I was like, I'm going to take some time to research. I'm going to do some studying. Um, and we're going to get to the bottom of this. So I wanted to talk about it. The reason I want to do this episode is because I want people to understand, like, regardless of, of what the answer to this question is, um, what is most efficient and what's going to help you best reach your goals. Right. Right. Um, so this is probably going to get deep real quick. So, of course... We have Trav here, who is going to keep me on track. Who is an idiot. <laughs> who, honestly, I get, a lot of, I get a lot of people who reach out to me, and they are very appreciative of the questions you ask. Awesome. Because a lot of it is it stuff I good. wouldn't think of. No, they, they really do um, like the questions that you ask. They say you're very thoughtful. Awesome. Um, good to know. But also, you help keep me on track and make sure I'm, I'm speaking English, which right. is good. Right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, so we've gotten feedback on the deep dives that you're very helpful. And so, uh, Travis, you are going to help make sure that this is easily understood. It's like if I'm going to explain this to you so you can understand it. Okay, cool. All yeah, right? because I, I, don't, I, I don't know. So I need to understand. Um, and I don't know what the difference between like creating ATP and being a preferred energy source or any of that means. Mm -hmm. So... So we'll, we'll get into it and you will be able to, by the end of this episode. Sick. So all the listeners, and I know we got some questions from people too. So we're going to get into that. Um, so first things first, some of y'all are probably like, I, what the fuck is ATP? Mate. Mate. I, mate. The fuck is ATP? Um, ATP is adenosine triphosphate, which is what allows your cells to perform tasks. So anytime anything happens in your body, ATP is happening. Like you're moving, you're blinking, you're breathing, you're chewing, you're swallowing, like talking, anything is happening. ATP is happening. So to allow a cell to perform a task, ATP, which is adenosine triphosphate splits off one of its phosphate bonds 
and uses that to create energy and allows the, the, um, uh, the, that third phosphate that breaks off is then allowed, allowed to do work for the cell. Okay. So that cell can perform an action. So ATP breaks off a phosphate, becomes ADP. That phosphate goes and is, allows work to be done for the cell. Okay. So you basically burn ATP to create energy. Yes, exactly. So it's like gasoline. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so there's a bunch of ADP floating around your body, adenosine diphosphate. Mm-hmm. It create it has to find another phosphate to attach to to create adenosine adenosine triphosphate. Okay. And then and then it's like a complete and it can create energy. Okay. And then it breaks yeah. off and then that can go create energy. And then that gotcha. Energy, okay. Right? Um so your body can create like to get this straight, your body can create energy from like any food, right? You create energy from protein, carbs, fats. What's most efficient? I do want to put, want to put this out there that like amino acid oxidation, amino acids or proteins is almost always adjusted exactly to the intake of amino acids. So it would be very, very, very hard to get fat from eating too much protein. Right. All right. But that's neither here nor there. Right. That's why it's, people- it's always going to be that's why people could, you can starve to death by eating only protein. Can you? Yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> it's called like, it's called like, uh, in wilderness survival, they call it like moose starvation or something. Like if you, if you kill animals and you're not able to like get the fat from the animal properly, if and you're all you have, like, like you 99. ate an entire moose, yeah. you could starve to death because, um, well, there'd be too much fat. It's like, I bet if you ate, if like, you're not getting any fat from, I it. bet if you ate, like if, if you were in, out to sea and all you could catch was tilapia. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's like fit- just protein. Yeah. Um, I learned that from a, from a show called, uh, it's called wild or something like that. Shit. Now I can't remember what it's called, but it's a show. It's like a reality show where they go and survive in the wilderness. And a lot, and like a lot of them will lose like, a uh, one of the guys got disqualified. Like he killed a moose and a, uh, and an animal stole, like he, he, he harvested the lard from the moose. Yeah. Cause he's like, I need this to survive out here. And an animal stole the lard. And so he was just eating the meat. Oh shit. And, uh, lost like 20% of his like body mass and they pulled him from the show. Whoa. That's crazy. So anyways, that makes sense then why that, why that would happen. That's crazy. Yeah. So yeah. So you're not going to get fat for eating too much protein. That's kind of neither here nor there, but something that I wanted to point out. Um, you know, when I raise protein in a client, you're, you're not going to, I'm going to get fat. Right. Right. Um, but the question is, does fat create more ATP than carbohydrate? And the answer is it does. Whoa. Whoa. I was blown away by that. So it does. Our guest was right, but this is a very big, but it's like a, like a JLo sized butt here. Okay. It requires way more oxygen to do so, right? Like it, it requires way more oxygen per mole of ATP to synthesize than carbs do. Oxygen is precious, right? It's just far less efficient, especially when we train the way we do. And the people who listen to this podcast train the way they do. We train hard as fuck. A lot of what we do is anaerobic. Oxygen is limited. We need the most efficient, most effective means of creating ATP for energy. 
So fat creates more ATP than carbs. The next question is, does that make fat the body's preferred source of energy? And the answer is no, it doesn't. Yes, fats can provide a high rate of ATP synthesis, but at a high rate of oxygen consumption. So they need a lot of oxygen to create ATP. If oxygen availability is limited, the major metabolic adaptation to increase the efficiency will switch from fat lipid oxidation, fat oxidation, to glucose oxidation, glucose from carbohydrates, especially when oxygen availability is limited. Now, if you're just like chilling on the couch, like you don't really need a ton of energy. So what you, you mean by, oxygen. is this right? What you mean by oxygen um, being limited is like, if you're working really hard, like if you're lifting or running or something, like you're, you're working really hard, your body is using more oxygen. So then it has less available to turn into energy. So essentially there are two types of exercise, right? There's anaerobic and aerobic exercise. One that, one that, uh, requires oxygen and one that does not most mm. like weightlifting is anaerobic. Like you don't have a ton of oxygen to, to perform those tasks. Now, if you're like going for a walk or a light jog, that's more aerobic. Okay. That does require oxygen. Right. So lifting weights requires a lot of oxygen. Lifting weights is anaerobic. Okay. Yeah. So no oxygen, no oxygen. Yeah. Got for, it. for the energy source. Right. Right. Um, so, and, and, I, and I'm glad you asked that question. So like when you're training really fucking hard and you need energy, like when do you want that energy? Uh, like before, or during, while I'm training? Like right now, right? Yeah. Okay. And if oxygen is limited as it is during high intensity or anaerobic exercise, how do you most effectively make that energy with glucose? Right. With carbohydrate. Right. That makes sense because if, if fat needs more oxygen to turn in, like to turn into energy mm -hmm. than carbs do, and during lifting weights, oxygen is going to be limited, then you need something that uses less oxygen to create energy. Exactly. It's more efficient. It's more yeah. effective. So that's it. Like, no, we're not going to end the podcast there. Yeah. <laughs> But that's it. So what is the body, body's preferred source of energy? It's glucose. Right. Glucose is blood sugar, right? It can be used immediately. It can, stored, it can be stored in the liver. Uh, it can be stored in the muscles for, for later use. So your body can actually like hold on to glucose in, in the form of glycogen. It's stored in the liver and the muscle tissue as glycogen. Um, but it can be stored. It can be held onto and you have it immediately. Now, what spikes glucose? Well, pretty much anything you eat, but the the biggest and most immediately uh, immediate spikes in glucose come from carbohydrate, right? Like think about it. It's, glucose is blood sugar. Mm -hmm. Sugar would be like the most immediate source of creating glucose, right? Right, of creating blood sugar. So it's like, okay, wait. So sugar creates the biggest spikes in blood sugar. It's like, yeah, no, of course it does. Right. right. Um, and, and I was telling you about this. I was like, I, I'll tell you what, if you want to make this like really simple in terms of, you know, what creates, uh, what's the body's most preferred source of energy, uh, especially when immediate usage is required, go find a child and give them a tablespoon of peanut butter 
or like, well, parents probably don't do this. Well, probably nobody should actually do this. Yeah. <laughs> but give a kid a tablespoon of peanut butter and see what happens. And then give a kid a tablespoon of sugar right. and see what happens. Like your kid's going to go crazy. Yeah. Like you're going to run around like an insane person. It's because that energy is available for immediate usage. It's very efficient. It's very effective. So we're good here. We're good now because I want to get a little bit more nerdy. And this is probably going to be a pretty short podcast at the, at the rate that we're going. Yeah, okay. no, that, may, that makes sense. Okay. So glucose, you, you consume carbohydrates, right? They convert to glucose. Glucose and glycogen, remember glycogen is just stored glucose, are converted to glucose 6-phosphate before they can use to generate energy. Part of that glucose 6-phosphate converts to lactic acid, which then forms three molecules of ATP, per glycogen molecule or two molecules of ATP per glucose molecule. This is anaerobic glycolysis. Remember, this is for anaerobic activity. Does not require oxygen, all right? The ATP generated by anaerobic glycolysis is not large enough to sustain muscle activity for long durations, right? So think about if you're performing exercise for a very long time, you probably need more oxygen. That's not what this is for, Right. okay? So with submaximal exercise, like when you're not going hard as fuck, when you're just like going for a walk. Yeah, sure. Or hike or like a mild hike. Yeah. Oxygen uptake increases and aerobic aerobic processes are supplying the majority of energy required by the contracting muscles. Right. Up up to there. That like that made sense. And yeah, I it think, also uh makes sense with kind of like layman's terms that I've had, which is like fat is better for um uh, carbs give you are better for like, uh, like why fucking beast mode eats Skittles during yeah. his NFL games. Yeah. Because like, if he needs to like run up the field one time and like shed 12 tackles, which he's done and like set off fucking earthquakes. Yeah. He eats Skittles and it's been proven scientific. It's, they've done scientific studies to show on like, um, HBO, like sports science, uh, to show like how that happens. It's actually kind of like a slight like performance enhancer. Yeah, it is. And isn't, isn't, uh, that's Marshawn Lynch, right? Marshawn Lynch. Yeah. Is he type one diabetic? I have no idea. He looks I, I like thought, he could be. I thought there was a, he's, I thought there was another man. reason. Yeah. He is a big man, but he's also fucking jacked. I thought there was a, another reason why he, uh, would always have Skittles on him. Cause like if his blood glucose gets too low, he needs something quick to, yeah. to spike it back. I, up. I haven't heard that, but I've seen, um, I've seen like studies tests that they've done like in a lab to show how like that glucose spike helps for like the short bursts. Yeah. That like, if he eats Skittles in it, like in the beginning of this, um, of this quarter, by the end of the game, it's not doing shit for him. But like yeah. for those few runs, yeah, he's, it, it does actually. Yes. It, and like in, uh, I'm glad you mentioned that because a lot of my clients, we utilize intra-workout carbohydrates and, um, be, because we understand the importance of carbohydrates and performance, like, yeah, we have pre-workout carbohydrates. We have post-workout carbohydrates because we need to, we need to, um, we need to help with performance and recovery, but we also have intra-workout carbohydrates. As long as your carbs are high enough, uh, daily that we can afford that. And when I have my clients consume intra-workout carbohydrates, I like it to be, well, one, I like it to be from a liquid source. So like Gatorade would be great. Or if people are like, Oh, sugar is bad. Then I'm like, okay, drink a hundred percent fruit juice or whatever. Right. Um, or if we're trying to eliminate, um, 
if we have digestive issues and we're trying to eliminate uh, artificials, then 100% fruit juice would be great. But I don't, ideally, we consume those intra-workout carbohydrates in like kind of a bolus. So put it this way, if I give you 30 grams of intra-workout carbohydrates and you're working out for an hour and it takes you an hour to drink those 30 grams of intra-workout carbohydrates, you're getting like half a gram of carbohydrates per minute. Right. Right. Like it's like not a lot. Like beast mode probably eats like a family size bag of Skittles during a game. Like I'm just guessing. Yeah. Right. Um, So you're not getting a lot of energy per like moment of time. Right. But if you consume that 30 grams of carbohydrates in a bolus, you have like a bolus of energy and that's going to help carry you through your workout. Yeah. So you're going to have more, you're going to have more energy throughout your workout. But again, to that point, like we're not, we're not sustaining muscle activity for like long durations. We're not like running marathons here. Right. We're weightlifting. This is pretty short burst. Yeah. You're doing a set. Yeah. So we don't need sustained muscular contraction. We don't need sustained muscular activity. Right. We need short burst. And so that's typically anaerobic. Now, if you were, and that's pretty high intensity, right? Mm -hmm. Now, if you were in a fasted state, or you were using like low intensity exercise, the bulk of the energy that is required by the muscle is going to be provided by like oxidation of free fatty acids. That's like, it's like kind of where like the fat burning zone comes from. Okay. You ever hear of the fat burning zone in cardio? Um, It's like really low intensity. Right. So like low intensity, steady state. I, I mean, it's, it's like, it's barely above a walk. Yeah. And that's your fat burning zone. Right. And, and, the, and, and that became popular because um, people thought, well, if I want to burn more fat, I need to stay in the fat burning zone. Which is kind of bullshit. I mean, yes, if you want to burn more fat um, per calorie burned, then, yeah, you stay in the fat burning zone. But like if you want to burn more fat, it's like it's like it's like this. If you do a uh, 30 minutes of low intensity, steady state exercise and you stay in the fat burning zone, let's just to put a random number to it let's just say you burn a hundred calories. Right. And most of them are going to be from fat because you stay in the fat burning zone. Yeah. But if you kicked it up a notch and you went with a little bit more intensity, maybe in that 30 minutes, you could burn 350 calories. Right. You'll burn more calories from fat doing that higher intensity exercise because you're burning more calories total. Yeah. You're you're, a smaller, you're burning three times as many calories. Exactly. A smaller percentage of the calories may be from fat because now you're using glycogen, right? You're using glucose, but you're still burning more fat. So like, honestly, fuck the fat burning zone. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's a, that's a, a great way to think about this is like you are performing a high intensity activity, your body, the higher the intensity, the more carbohydrates you need, the more glucose you need, the more glycogen is going to be utilized. Yeah. Because the body needs it now. Right. It needs it right now. It needs it in an efficient manner. And that's the most efficient way. There's no reason for it to try to figure out how to use fats for energy when carbohydrates are right there. Right. Ready to be used. So here's what, here's what I understand so far is that fat, when you eat fat, it creates a 
uh, a, a higher amount of ATP per gram, would you say, or per some unit of measurement? Mm-hmm. It creates the same, you know, the same amount of fat versus carbs. Fat's going to create more ATP, but it requires much more oxygen to turn that into energy. Yes. Than it does carbs, which seem to probably require very little, at, you know, at all. It's like, boom, it's instant. Yep. Um, so the, the fat is going to be, um, while, yeah, while it does create more ATP, that doesn't mean that that ATP is going to be as readily available when you need it for high intensity exercise. Exactly. That's exactly it. During high intensity exercise, the contribution of like fatty acid oxidation of like energy from fats becomes less. Okay. That during, makes sense. Yeah. During high intensity exercise, carbohydrate oxidation, energy from carbohydrates provides the, from, from this is from PubMed provides about two thirds of the total energy need. Okay. So, so it's almost a reverse then in a long steady state, maybe carbohydrates are less preferred for providing energy for that thing. If you're going than, for a long walk. Then fats are. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So as we increase intensity, carbohydrate metabolism becomes preferred. Okay. So, right? so to, to like, to recap, like, I don't necessarily um, know, you know, all the ins and outs of like how that works, but to recap it, basically um, the more intense your exercise gets, the more and more carbs become the pre, like the preferred source of energy. Yes. Um, so are there, are there situations in which, you know, carbs would be the most preferred source of energy where you'd say like, I mean, probably not for physique enhancement because you're going to need intense exercise, but. You mean when fats are going to be the most preferred source of energy? That's what I meant. Yeah. yeah. Is there a situation where fats would like, you know, if you're, if you're looking at like, at doing like a 12 hour, you know, like a 12 mile hike. That's not like rock climbing. It's just like a, a pretty easy hike, but it's like a long hike. Would like fats be a preferred energy source in that type of situation versus carbs? So you're still going to want carbohydrates. Right. Right. Now, when, when I like to think of now we're talking about like, how do we eat to fuel our body? How do we eat for performance? Yeah. Let's think about it this way. Well, one, what you eat, like anytime I any, anytime I'm deciding like, okay, what am I going to eat right now? Um, not necessarily right now. Cause I eat like almost 600 grams of carbs a day. But, um, if you're learning how to pay attention to what you're eating, a nice thing to do is think about like, what am I going to be doing in the next few hours? Am I going to be going for like a really intense bike ride? Am I going to be weightlifting? Am I going to be like sitting on the couch? Am I going to just go for a walk? The more intense the exercise, the more you might want to consider ingesting some carbohydrate right now let's think let's take these and let's think of these as like workouts okay let's think of we'll do like a crossfit workout which is super super high intensity for a really short amount of time we'll think like a a weightlifting workout which is like pretty high intensity for like a longer amount of time like an hour hour and a half and then let's think of like a long bike ride or like a long run right CrossFit workout, you probably just want carbohydrates. Like think about fats or fats. Well, one fats are going to slow your rate of digestion. So they're going to slow the rate of of absorption. Um, And you need those carbs like right now. Like if you could just drink a 
giant Gatorade and then go into a CrossFit workout, you'll probably be, be pretty well off mm -hmm. because you have instant energy right now. There's nothing else. There's no proteins. There's no fats that are going to slow down that digestion. You get a lot of carbohydrates for a lot of energy right now. It's in and out short bursts of energy. CrossFit workouts are like what? 20 minutes. Yeah. Something yeah, like that. Right. So that would be a good example of like just carbohydrates being a preferred source for that workout. Okay. Now let's talk about like a weightlifting workout. So like most of the people who listen to this podcast, they probably lift weights. You're probably in the gym lifting for like an hour, hour and a half. That's a little bit of a longer duration of time. So you're going to want carbohydrates because we know that we need them for this anaerobic activity that we're about to perform because it's the body's preferred source. But you also want to extend the, the length of time that those carbohydrates are going to be active in your system. Now, fat can slow down your rate of absorption, so it can make those carbs last a little bit longer. You still have glucose entering your system. We just want to slow it down a little bit. So we have, most of my clients will have uh, pre and post-workout macros. And so usually what I'll do is I'll give them a bolus of carbohydrates in their pre-workout meal. And... I'll also include a little bit of fat. I find that somewhere between like 10 and 15 grams of fat, depending on the person, is really good for a weightlifting workout. And that's going to help you get through your workout. Now, if you get towards the end of your workout and you start to feel a little bit of shit, a little bit like shaky, a little bit weak, a little bit faint, you're going hypoglycemic. You have low blood sugar because your body is burning through all of the glucose in your system because it is the preferred source of energy for the activity that you're doing. If you find that, that if you find that that's happening, then you can either increase the amount of fat that you're consuming in that pre-workout meal, or like we talked about, you can add intra-workout carbohydrates to, ex to in increase the amount of glucose in your system for that workout. So you have carbohydrates and fats. Obviously we do proteins pre-workout just because we want to kickstart muscle protein synthesis and, and recovery and repair, but fats, and a lot of carbohydrates still. Like I have 100 grams of carbohydrates before I work out with 12 grams of fat. And it does great for me. I have 50 grams of carbohydrates during my workout. And then I have my post-workout meal. So that would be a good, that would be how I would structure your weightlifting workout. Yeah. Now, if you're going to go for a run, yeah, carbohydrates are important, right? Like you, you're still performing activity, but it's much lower intensity. It's more aerobic. Remember aerobic activity, we can utilize fats. So you may have carb some carbohydrates, but you're probably going to have a good amount of fats too because you want sustained energy, long sustained energy. Remember, we're doing this for, um, we're, we're, we need muscular activity for long durations. Got it. That would be more lower carbohydrate or low to moderate carbohydrate uh, and, and probably higher fat. Okay. Yeah, yeah. that makes a lot of sense. Does that, does that help? Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, so yeah, the higher intensity of the exercise, the less you're going to use fatty acids, the more you're going to use carbohydrate. Okay. Got it. Right. Yeah. All right. Cool. So my next, my next question, and I think what a lot of, what a lot of people think of is I'm hearing, I understand that that makes a lot of sense, you know, as, as like a basic, uh, a basic rule of thumb. And that actually answers a lot of questions like the shakiness after. <laughs> Do you get shaky? 
Yeah. Like I, you know, I've had the times like coming back from the gym where I'm like, I shouldn't drive right now. <laughs> yeah. I've had that. And I've had like on thir- on Thursdays, I, uh, I do my Facebook lives in the group. Yeah. And, and like not this past Thursday, but the Thursday before, um, I was, I was like getting really shaky. Yeah. Like I was going really hypo. I was like eating Bobo's oat bars while I was trying to do this live. (laughs) But yeah, I was just, I was going hypoglycemic because I had just done, I just murdered myself on legs. Right. And so I was, I had utilized pretty much all of the glucose in my body and I was starting to go hypo. Okay. So I needed more glucose. So we're hearing carbs, right? Yep. But bread is a carb. Gatorade is a carb. Uh-huh. Bell peppers is a carb. Yeah. Broccoli is a carb. Like what's a, what's a carb and are all of those things cool to eat to provide you with that energy? That's a good question. Or is, yeah. Like what's the preferred, what's the difference between all of those and what's the preferred carb? What's the preferred energy source? That's a great question. And again, this comes down to what are you going to be doing in the next few hours? Okay. I used my peanut butter sugar analogy, right? Mm -hmm. Like give a kid some peanut butter and some sugar and what's going to happen? Like he's going to get a crazy sugar spike. He's going to run around the house like a madman at myself when I was a kid, right? Um, What you're referring to between bread, bell peppers, sugar, uh, rice, Gatorade, all of these carbohydrates fall somewhere on the glycemic index. The glycemic index is an index that goes, I believe from zero to 100 and it rates how quickly those carbohydrates are digested and converted into glucose. Ah, okay. The faster they digest and convert to glucose, the higher they will spike your insulin, the more readily available that energy is. Got it. So think of Skittles, beast mode. Yeah. Eat Skittles because he needs energy right now. Yeah. I mean, he could eat a spoonful of sugar. He could drink a Gatorade. Those are all very high glycemic carbohydrates for instant energy. Yeah. Now there's a reason he's not eating like oatmeal or sweet or like sweet potato. Right. Those are lower glycemic carbohydrates. They digest slower. They create a smaller spike in insulin, a little bit of a extended or delayed energy availability. Yeah. So if I'm, I'm really glad you asked this question. So if you're just eating food throughout the day, you know, like, and and you're not going to be working out anytime soon, then you probably have like a good mix of carbs and fats, but your carbs probably come from lower glycemic sources like sweet potato, like brown rice is like a low to moderate glycemic. I think sweet potato actually might be moderate glycemic, Um, but like a, a steel cut oats, things like that are lower glycemic carbohydrates. They're gonna have slower, longer duration energy sources. And then before your workout, I mean, shit, I have like, a bowl of frosted flakes right now. Cause I, I want high glycemic instant energy. Right. So I have a higher glycemic carbohydrate before I work out higher glycemic carbohydrate with Gatorade powder and my intra workout carbohydrate, my raw intra workout during my workout. Cause I want it right now. You could eat cereal during your workout. You could eat rice, crispy treats. You could eat Skittles like beast mode does. The reason I don't like to eat my intra workout carbohydrates is just because the body's in a sympathetic state. It's in fight or flight. It's not focused on digesting. So the fat, the, the, the more easily we can make that carbohydrate, uh, digestible, which is like a liquid. It's pretty well broken down. The body mm. can just utilize it. It's just sugar. Yeah. Um, the better. Okay. Right. 
Yeah. So something like Gatorade is going to be great for. I love Gatorade. For, um, yeah, like intense exercise. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's why they made it. Right. Right. And that's why it's like the athlete's drink. Yeah. You don't really usually see people drinking Gatorade just like sitting around. Right. Doing nothing. Right. Yeah. You want quick, you want quick energy, you have a fast digested carbohydrate, high glycemic. Okay. And you guys, you can look up the glycemic index. Like if you're curious to see, well, I'll tell you what, if you're curious to see what else is, um, what is high glycemic, what is moderate glycemic, what is low glycemic, uh, I do cover that in my muscle building nutrition strategies ebook. So if you don't have that, then you can download that. You can also just Google it. Yeah. You know, like glycemic index chart or whatever. It'll give you an idea of like what's moderate, what's low, what's high, whatever. Okay. Yep. Yeah. That makes sense. So there's a scale and there's carbs and then there's carbs, carbs. <laughs> there's carbs and there's carbs. Yeah. There's like weak carbs and there's strong carbs. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's like, you. there's not really do a lot carbs. Yeah. And there's like doing all the things carbs. Right. I got you. Yeah. And when you're going to work out, you want the, all the things doing carbs. Right. When you're not working out, maybe you go for like the not doing much carbs. Yeah. Cause like you hear a lot that sugar is horrible, but it seems like sugar is horrible if you don't have an energy to or don't have an engine that's able to burn it quickly and efficiently. Yeah. And well, let's think about it this way, right? Like if you're dumping sugar into a, into like a, you know, non-moving body, then it's bad. Exactly. Well, think about it this way. Like humans uh, long ago, we're always moving. Right. We weren't sitting at desks. We weren't like, we weren't as sedentary as we are now. And so we, grew and adapted because we were moving so much to utilize carbohydrates as a preferred source of energy because it was so quick. Yeah. As we've modernized our civilization, we're moving less. And as we've continued to modern modernize the food industry, we're processing foods to make them taste better. And how do you make foods taste better? You put sugar in them. Yeah. So we're moving less Society is modernizing and creating foods that have more sugar in them. And that is creating the issue. That's creating the insulin resistance. That's creating the blood glucose that is constantly high. That's creating the type two diabetes. The best way to combat type two diabetes is to exercise. Why? Because you're going to use the glucose. Right. So yeah, sugar is not like, look, no food is quote unquote good or bad. Like we get into a lot of trouble when we start labeling foods as good or bad. There's no good or bad foods. There's just better or worse times to eat them. Yeah. You got people that listen to me and they're, they're probably like, man, you eat cereal. You yeah. drink Gatorade. What about the sugar? Like it, I, I, I want, yeah, I want I the fast car- pass out after my work. Yeah. I want the fast carbohydrate and yeah, I could get it from fructose. I could drink hundred percent fruit juice, but like I'm using the energy. Right. It's not floating around in my bloodstream. It's not getting blocked out of cells. I'm not insulin resistant. I want that energy. Yeah. I need it. So it's okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. Got it. That makes sense. Good. Yeah. I know we had a bunch of other questions from people and I, yeah. I, I'm sure you have other questions, but like, I think, I think we covered the concept that carbohydrates are the body's preferred source of energy. Yes. Fats create lipids, fats and lipids, whatever fats are lipids create more ATP, but it's not always most readily available. It's not always most efficient. So we've got that covered. So like, yeah, yeah, I want to answer questions that you have questions that we got from our Instagram post Yeah, and make sure that people have the information that they need. For sure. Let's get into some Q and a, um, so 
the first question here is why uh, why do you hear that nightshades are not healthy or certain vegetables are not healthy? So for instance, uh, Tom Brady has uh, his diet, like no squash, no bell peppers, no tomatoes. Um, why do we hear that s- s- in some diets, like certain vegetables are, are healthy or unhealthy? Well, first things first, um, everybody is different. Yeah. Right. Every human is different. Some people digest broccoli very well. A lot of people don't. Right. Same with cla- cauliflower. There are certain vegetables, um, that, some people just digest better than others. Let's talk about Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tom Brady has probably put like a million dollars into figuring out exactly what works best for him, for him to perform at the level that he performs at. He's the bionic man. He is a, for, yeah, he is fucking bionic man. He probably got some food sensitivity testing done, a GI map done. He probably got a whole bunch of testing done. And they were like, okay, anything that's not optimal for you, get rid of it. Yeah. And that probably included things like bell peppers. And I don't think he's strawberries or some other shit. Yeah. So this is all highly individualized. I think, I think some people think nightshades are bad for you because they can cause inflammation in large doses but I'd also be willing to bet that like the dose that would cause inflammation to that extent, either you already are predisposed to having a sensitivity to that food or you would have to eat like a fuck ton of it. Right. It'd be like trying to kill yourself from smoking too much pot. Yeah. It's like probably not possible. Yeah. Right. It's not, it's not by the way. And it's not, it's not possible. And let's also be real. Like nightshades aren't the reason you're not progressing. Right. Like stop blaming it on the little like one thing that someone told you yeah, and start focusing on what your body is telling you. Yeah. If you, if every time you eat broccoli, you either get constipated or bloated as fuck, maybe don't eat broccoli. Yeah. Don't like stop eating broccoli yeah. and see if that keeps happening. To you. Yeah. If you're unsure of what thing, what things you should or should not be eating. And if like, maybe you're just constantly bloated, maybe you have constant pretty chronic digestive issues, get some testing done. Yeah. Get a GI map, get some food sensitivity testing done. See where you can start eliminating foods based on what your body does or does not tolerate. Is that stuff super expensive? Some of it is, some of it isn't. I mean, you can get a a GI map. I think you can get for like a few hundred bucks. Um, We had Kara on the podcast and she orders them through, I believe it's Diagnostic Solutions. And I think she said they're a a few hundred bucks. Um, I have my clients do a lot of food sensitivity testing. I'm learning GI mapping as we speak. Food sensitivity testing is usually like a few hundred bucks as well. You can, uh, I like the vibrant wellness food sensitivity test. Everly well has one that I've had a couple clients do. Um, just not, not something that I asked for. They just went and and did it. Um, because if I asked for it, I asked for vibrant wellness, but it gives you decent results. I mean, it gives you a place to start. It's not always the most accurate, but like you have a place to start better that than just being like, I don't know what's wrong with me. Right. So I don't know where to start. You can either like, and if that's the case, you either do a full blown elimination diet, which sucks, or you get some testing done and you get a place to start and you're like, okay, maybe I shouldn't have bell peppers, broccoli, cauliflower, chicken, like whatever it might be. Yeah. You pull those things out, see how your body responds. And then, you know, you can try to introduce them back into your diet with a, a reintroduction phase. But 
everybody's body is different. So instead of listening to one thing on the internet and taking it as the golden advice, like honestly, even anything I say is not black and white. Yeah. Pay attention to how your body responds to things and give your body what it needs based on those response. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, how does the average person determine how, how much carbs slash fats they should be eating? And then another question that I got um, from the Instagram post is what's a good rule of thumb ratio to try and follow? So how do you determine how much you should be eating? And then what's a good like ratio rule of thumb? Like how to set your macros basically. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about that. So if you ask the internet, go to Google and you're like, how do I know how many macros to eat or whatever? You're, it's going to come up with so many macro calculators and I hate them. I hate them because think about it like this. It, it's kind of like the, the, it's like the nutrition version of a BMI scale, right? It calculates your macros based on your height, your weight, and then it has you guess your activity level, right? right. It, yeah. it, you know, say what you think your activity level is. Um, some people think they're way more active than others. Some people think they're way less active than others. So you're just like, you're, you're trying to figure this out for yourself. And then based on your height and weight, it's like, dude, the reason I related to the BMI chart is like, that's just height and weight. It doesn't take into consideration you as an individual. Yeah. According to the BMI chart, I'm obese. Yeah. Like <laughs> it's, it's not, it's not accurate. So when you go to these food, these uh, macro calculators, it's going to take your height, your weight, your activity level, and it's going to give you what it believes your basal metabolic rate is. Like how many how many calories you burn just by existing. Like if you were a vegetable, you need to breathe. You need to be able to digest whatever food they're giving you. You need to be able to like use the bathroom. Like all of these involuntary actions, basically. Um, your heart has to beat. These all require calories. That's your BMR. Your Total daily energy expenditures is what happens when they add your um, your energy, your activity level into it. I'm using air quotes. And so your total daily energy expenditure is like, how many calories do you burn during the day? But it's a calculation based on your height and your weight and a guess at your activity level. It doesn't take into consideration whether or not you've been chronically dieting for years and your metabolism is downregulated. It doesn't take into consideration the health of your thyroid. It doesn't take into consideration how you digest foods, your, your digestive health, or, and any of these other individual factors that can heavily sway that number. So the way I have my clients do it is if you want to truly get an understanding of how your body responds and what uh, the amount of food that your body needs, download my fitness pal, track your food as you would normally eat it and drink it, for an entire week, for seven days. Do not change anything about the way you eat. Your normal per portions, your normal beers, I don't care, whatever it is. We need to know how many calories you've been eating on average every day. The only difference is you put it on a scale. Put your plate on a scale, you put your normal portions on there, you enter your normal portions into my fitness pal, you do that for seven days. At the end of those seven days, you see how many calories on average you've eaten each day. Now, if you're not tracking your food, you're probably going to see big sways, right? Maybe one day you eat 2000, another day you ate 2,800 on the weekends. You went out with some friends, you had like seven drinks, you ate like 3,500 calories. Like we need the average. So you take all those seven days, you find the average. Then you take that average and say your average is 2,500 calories just for the sake of easy math, right? 
you want to eat as at least, in my opinion, and this has been proven, right? If you're looking to enhance your physique, at least a gram per pound of body weight. All right. Don't listen to anything that like the study books will tell you about it's per kilogram of body weight. Like that's to not lose muscle. We're trying to build muscle a gram per pound of body weight. Some of my clients go up to 1.2. Some go up to 1.5. I mean, I'm 220 pounds right now. I eat 350 grams of protein a day. So at least a gram per pound of body weight, your fats. And that's, that's, so that sets your protein. All right. Um, you know what? Let's go in even deeper. I'm going to tell you how to, how to do this based on the muscle building nutrition strategy. So if you're listening to this and you want more information, reach out to me. I'll give you a copy of this. It's totally free. It's like a nutrition 101 course boiled down into eight steps. The first step is this one. It's how to calculate your, your, your macros. All right. So say Travis, how much do you weigh? 195. 195. All right. So say you have 200 grams of protein, gram per pound. Mm -hmm. All right. One gram of protein is four gram is four calories. So if 200 grams of protein is 800 calories, right? So say you're eating 2,500 calories a day, 800 of those calories come from protein. Mm -hmm. All right. Now let's talk about fats. Fats next. Fats are important for optimizing hormonal function, keeping your endocrine system happy, making sure that you're able to actually produce enough hormone to, well, one, progress, but two, like have a libido, reproduce, things like that. Um, fats usually go somewhere between 20 and 35% of your total daily calories. Okay. So for most of my men, I, I, I keep most of my men at like 25%, unless they're on TRT, then we have synthetic hormones. So we can, we can go a little bit lower. Most women like to see around 30%. Um, women, because of their role in holding, carrying a baby and producing life, uh, they, they tend to need a little bit more fats in their diets to stay healthy. So I like to keep my women around 30%. Either way, say, you know, 2,500 calories times 25% for you. What is that? We're going to do, we're just going to do this around the podcast and your, your caloric intake is not 2,500 calories. I'm just saying. All right. So that would be 625 calories from fat. Mm -hmm. Fat has nine calories per gram. So 625 divided by nine would put you at 69 grams of fat. Okay. So let's say you have 70 grams of fat, right? So you have 70 grams of fat. That's 625 calories. You have 200 grams of protein. That's 800 calories. That means that you have 625 plus 800 equals 1425. So you've got about a thousand calories left to take from carbohydrates. Okay. Carbohydrates have four calories per gram. So a thousand divided by four is 250. So you'd have 250 grams of carbohydrates. Got it. So you'd have 200 grams of protein. 250 grams of carbohydrates and 70 grams of fat, 200 plus 250 times four equals plus 70 times nine is 2430. Okay. Right. That's how you would calculate your macros. Got it. Yep. Okay. And then pay attention to how your body feels. Yeah. If you've, are you, are you gaining weight? Are you making progress and are you moving in the direction of your goals? Or are you not? Right. So you have almost, you have almost, a, you have a little bit more than three times as many carbs as you do fats. That depends. Yeah. In yeah. that example. In that example, that depends. But because. You, but you really want to do it like, you really want to do it that way. You want to do it the right do, way. You want to do it that way. Which yeah. is calculating what, what you're doing now. And then from there, what you need to change to get to your, your goal. Yeah. Because let's be clear, like proteins and fats are crucial for life. 
you don't need carbs to live. That's why keto was invented. Right. Is it ideal to not have carbs? Not in my opinion, no. But some people will do um, like a gram per pound for fats as well. I just, I, I, I learned to do percentage based and I can operate very well that way. So I think it's, I think it's really easy that way, but no matter what you do, you calculate your protein, you calculate your fat and then the rest comes from carbohydrates. Got it. Okay. Cause yeah, for example, right now, I mean, my, my fats are at 90, my carbohydrates are at 575. Yeah. So way more majority of my, my calories are coming from carbohydrates. I'm getting almost 2,300 calories from carbohydrates. Yeah. All right. Um, next question, maybe we'll just do one more question for now. And then the rest of these will be another podcast. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, last, so last question from the viewers is, um, it's, I guess it's a little bit, a little bit different than exactly about like carbs or fat, but, but like, you know, fits in there. Can you, or how can you bulk and lose fat at the same time? So how can you, or can you? gain muscle and lose fat at the same time. Is that possible? Or do you need to like gain fat in your body while you gain muscle? It depends who you ask. Okay. <laughs> so if you ask Google, it's probably gonna tell you no. If you All ask right. like some like new trainer, at your box gym, they're probably gonna say no. Um, in bodybuilding, we know that that's absolutely possible. Okay. It's very, very possible for beginners, people who have a very little training stimulus like you'd probably even notice it on your own. Like we, we, we see body recomposition happen all the time. Um, I train a lot of more advanced athletes and uh, we still see it happen because, well, well, let me back up. It happens more so in beginners because you have had no stimulus being placed upon your body. You haven't been training. You haven't been lifting weights. So when you start lifting weights, <clears throat> that's a loud stimulus. Your body's like, oh, fuck. Like, it doesn't know. I just talked about this in my live uh, yesterday uh, or two days ago. It doesn't know that you're in a gym. Your body doesn't know you're in a gym. It doesn't know you're squatting in a safe environment with the safety set on the squat rack. Right. It thinks if you don't stand up, you can die. Yeah. So to your body, your body's like, oh, shit, if we can't do that, we'll die. So it builds muscle. Meanwhile, you're also moving more. You're eating healthier. So you're being more effective with all aspects of your protocol. <clears throat> and so, yeah, you can build muscle and burn fat at the same time with a more advanced athlete. Yes. It's absolutely still possible with the proper macronutrient distribution with opt with prioritizing protein, with prioritizing sleep and hunger and energy recovery, energy, digestion, stress with making sure that all of your biofeedback is perfect and training like a fucking animal, right? The same, the same concept occurs. If you can send a loud enough signal to your body that it needs to continue building muscle, it'll do that. It'll, it'll prioritize that because all your body wants to do is survive. So if it thinks if it can't lift that weight, it could die. Then if that signal is as loud or, or, or louder than the signal that's being sent to your body that says, Hey, we're running out of food. We need to conserve energy. Then your body will likely prioritize burning fat over burning muscle because it has energy from fat to burn. It thinks that if it doesn't burn that, it doesn't know you have food in the fridge, right? It thinks that you're still a caveman and that you have to go hunt for your food and that if you're not getting food, there is no food. So if that signal is loud that, you know, you're in a calorie deficit, your body needs energy, it will burn that energy from fat. And at the same time, 
if you're sending a signal that's loud enough that if you, if you cannot lift this weight, you could die, it'll build and retain muscle. So this all comes down to stress management. Like if, if you're not sleeping well, it's probably not going to work. If your digestion's not great, it's probably not going to work. If your training is not great, it's probably not going to work. So you get yourself a good coach and we optimize all aspects of your protocols. We improve all aspects of your health so that you are a very healthy body. Then yes, it's very possible. Okay. So it's easier and less complicated to like, quote unquote, dirty bulk which is like you smash some weights around, you eat as much food as possible, which is probably what most people like think or experience. Yep. And it's easier is not the right word. It's simpler to do that um, and requires less planning, execution and, and education because anybody can do that. They can smash some weights around and they can eat a bunch of food. Yeah, it's a calorie surplus. Anyone can do that. Yeah, right. you have more energy coming in. You need energy to build muscle. Yeah. Right, your body is has an excess of energy. Yeah. It's going to build muscle. You're going to, you're going to put on fat too. You're going to have to take that fat off. Yeah. But if you want to build muscle while burning fat, that seems like it's probably not harder. It's just way more variables and more things that you have to do in the right way. You have to have much more intense training in the right way. You have to have better recovery in the right way. You have to have better sleep and digestion in the right way. And you have to have your, you know, macro set up in the right way. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you can accomplish that. So exactly. it's not, it doesn't really seem like it's much like harder. It's just more complicated, requires more planning, more education. That's why like a coach can help you do that much easier than you can just like, you know, you go to work, you go to the gym and you eat a bunch of food. Like that's probably what most people experience when they're trying to build muscle or like, yeah. Yeah. I think okay. so. Yep. I would agree with that. Okay. Let's do one more question. Yeah. I, I, think think this, I think we've got time. Yeah. I think this is, um, this is, this is one that I think a lot of people have, but so the question is, f do fat, like do fat and carbs satiate the body differently in terms of hunger throughout the day? So I think what a lot of, what I hear from a lot of people is they're like, you know, oh, you eat one potato chip and then you just want to keep eating potato chips and they, they make you more hungry that, you know what I mean? Yeah. There's that type of thing. Like I eat one potato chip and then, you know, you have to eat the whole bag and then I'm still hungry. And so like, how do carbs and fat affect hunger and affect satiation and that sort of thing? And that kind of leads into like, you know, when should you eat them? So. Okay. Yeah. Let's first talk about the potato chip. Okay. That is an item that has been processed and purposely manufactured by a company that is trying to make money. Right. How's that company make money? By getting you addicted. By selling potato chips. Yeah. They're cracked. How do they sell more potato chips by getting you to eat more potato chips? How do they get you to eat more potato chips? They make them really fucking good. Yeah. Right. It's basically Walter White. Yeah, it's Walter White. Runs the potato chip potatoes. Company. Right. <laughs> so, so like, Yes, that's a potato chip. Now, if you made like how many calories is in a bag of potato chips? Let's just say it's like, this is probably gonna be low. Let's just say 600, mm -hmm. right? And this is definitely low because they're filled with fats and, and sugars and butter, whatever. I feel like it's 140 for one of those small like ones. You know what I mean? For one of the small ones, probably if they're like baked. Those, yeah, the single. Like, probably if they're, that's the, like, probably the healthiest ones, potato like like chip. 140. They're, they're tiny. I mean, the big bag. Uh, 
is like way bigger than that. That's probably the tiniest uh, bag that you'll find. Yeah. Right. Like the ones that you get out of like a vending machine. Yeah. So, okay. Ready? (laughs) Is this right? One bag, eight ounce, eight ounces, 227 grams of potato chips. I just Googled this real quick. Um, 1,217 calories. What? Now in like the small bag of Lay's potato chips that you're talking about, like probably the really tiny one, uh, it's one ounce. Okay. 160 calories. Okay, cool. Yeah. Right. So somewhere between there. Right. Um, those are one ounce bags. Holy shit. How many calories are in a six ounce bag of potato chips? I mean, you can eat those in literally 930 calories in a six ounce bag of potato chips. Okay. This is from the USDA seven. Yeah. One bag, eight ounce, 1217 calories, 79 grams of fat, 120 grams of carbohydrates, 16 grams of protein. It just seems to me like if you are crushing those often, you should, you should never judge anyone who does hard drugs. In my personal opinion, (laughs) you should take that judgment and you should put it in your bag of potato chips. Yeah. Put it right back. Because it's basically what you're doing. You're an addict. Chip clip that shit. Yeah. And don't ever let it come out again. That is so ridiculous. Okay. Now here's the thing. Uh, All right. That's 1200 calories of potato chips. Now, I don't know who's going to eat like the whole bag. Maybe some people do, but like. It's easy, man. You have one of those things. It's like, that's what I'm saying. Okay. Try to eat 1200 calories of like home fries. Right. Or like mashed potatoes. Yeah. Right. You probably won't do it. Yeah. Because it hasn't been processed and and like manufactured to make you want to eat that much. Math. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so the question was the question like which what keeps you more satiated and the, and their their example was that they can't stop eating potato chips. That was kind of my example. That's okay. just that's just what I thought of when okay. I read that because I know that's just like a common thing that you hear. Yeah. Um, so, but the question is like, how do they satiate you diff- your body differently and control hunger and that sort of thing? Okay. So fats, well, one have nine calories per gram. Well, carbs have four calories per gram. Okay. Carbs are utilized for energy very quickly. They so they tend to digest very qu- fast depending on where on the glycemic index they fall. Fats digest very slowly, so fats will keep you more satiated throughout the day. Right. I mean, if you go, if you go out to brunch, brunch is pretty high fat. Right. Right. It's like eggs Eggs, and cheese and they put a ton of butter in it. And like you eat brunch and you're probably like, you probably feel like heavy and full for a long time. Yeah. But if you just like had strictly carbohydrate from that meal, you probably wouldn't feel that full for very long. Right. So fats will help, help keep you more satiated for longer periods of time. Okay. Got it. Um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then here's my bonus question, which okay. I think is like going to be super helpful for people. But like, based on that information, what are the best times to eat certain foods? Because it seems like carbs are going to be much like if they give you if if it's less calories, gives you more energy, faster. Basically, that's going to be optimized before exercise. Mm-hmm. And then what I always hear is like protein, like it's best to eat protein first thing in the morning, but I don't know. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. And I hear that it's like really bad to eat carbs before bedtime, probably because your body's just like burning energy while you're sleeping. Uh, so I, I don't but yeah. Think, what's the, what's the time yeah. of day versus like what you're supposed that, to eat? That is a or very does it good matter? question. It's a great question. Uh, it does matter um, to an extent, right? I mean, 
we're, we're, we're kind of splitting hairs here. Like if, if you're just trying to figure out how to get your, how many calories you need to eat right now, probably don't worry about this right yet. Right. If you're trying to optimize your performance and like you're ready to take the next step. Yeah. Think about this. Okay. So protein, we want to keep muscle protein synthesis spiked throughout the day. So we're going to consume protein like pretty regularly throughout the day. So if you have three meals a day, split your protein up into three even meals, right? If you have snacks, just split your protein up into, say you have two snacks, five even meals, right? If you want to have a breakfast and then sip on a protein shake until lunch and then sip on a protein shake until dinner, like cool. Even throughout the day is how we want to split up our protein. Carbohydrates, like we've talked about, it depends on what you're going to be doing, right? So we want typically the bolus and uh, the, the, the majority of our carbohydrates rather to be around our workout. So most of my clients, we consume 50 up to like 70, 75% of our carbohydrates around our workout. For example, right now I'm eating uh, 575 grams of carbohydrates. I have a hundred pre, a hundred post, 50 intra. So I'm having almost 50 grams or 50% of my carbohydrates around my workout. And that's in like a few hour window, right? Right. The rest of my carbohydrates, I spread up pretty evenly throughout the day. Um, as far as carbohydrates at night, not a big deal. Okay. That carbs are bad at night because uh, they think about the spike in insulin that it creates and that it is a source of energy. And if you're going to be going to bed, like, why do you need a source of energy? Right. That's what I initially yeah. thought, like, what that would mean. Quite honestly, dude, here's something interesting. Like, if if I have a client who is getting cortisol dumps in the middle of the night, well, one, the Revive Calm is massively helpful for that, right? It keeps cortisol low. If cortisol is high, melatonin can't rise. Melatonin is right. your sleepy hormone. Right? If, if cortisol is high, melatonin can't rise. If you're getting a cortisol dump in the middle of the night, that's what's waking you up. Now, insulin blunts cortisol. Insulin, if insulin spikes, if insulin is high, then it will keep cortisol low. So if you have like a slow digesting carbohydrate that has a moderate insulin spike but sustained at night, that may actually help keep cortisol lower throughout the night so that melatonin can stay high, you can sleep better. Interesting. So it's kind of like a bowl of cereal, maybe uh, more like something that a little bit lower glycemic, something like a, a sweet potato. I know okay. people probably don't want to eat sweet potatoes before bed, but like it's lowish glycemic. It'll have a nice sustained insulin response and that may help keep cortisol low, which may help you sleep better. Okay. Um, you know, you can also just supplement with calm, something like that. Yeah. Um, or do some, some deep breathing. You know, we really just want to get your cortisol under control. It should spike in the morning and then level out throughout level off throughout the day. So to that point, talking about fats and breakfast, yes. Having more fats in the beginning of the day, if you're not going to work out in the beginning of the day, great. Awesome. Love it. Um, the reason being cortisol spikes to wake you up in the morning. Insulin uh, yeah. then spikes as a response to cortisol spiking. So high sugar is fighting against high that. sugar is keeping insulin high. Which It'll keep cortisol, cortisol down, down, which isn't a bad thing, but your body naturally has an insulin spike first thing in the morning to blunt cortisol. Oh, uh, okay. Like, right. So like cortisol spikes in the morning, you wake up, insulin's high, and then insulin comes down. Cortisol goes down, insulin goes down. Your cortisol should kind of continue to trend down throughout the rest of the day. Right. Um, 
That's another reason why when we take our fasted blood glucose, if anybody wants to go back and listen to the, um, what did we title that episode? How to make sure you're healthy. Yeah. I think it was, we talked about insulin and fasted blood glucose. That's why we drink a bunch of water. We drink like 15 to 20 ounces of water in the morning to help with that insulin response so that, that we can get a more accurate blood sugar reading. So if you have a cortisol spike in the morning, insulin spikes, and then you have a ton of carbs for breakfast, you spike insulin again. It's like, well, shit, we just did that. Like, you know, yeah. we might as well have a higher fat breakfast to help keep the insulogenic response lower and then save your carbs for later in the day and around your workout. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Sick. That's what I would say. Cool. Anything else? You good? I think I'm good. Yeah. I feel like that, that was pretty good. I, okay. I think that definitely the, the first half of that episode, I'm, I'm, I think that we did a pretty good job of explaining why carbohydrates are the body's preferred source of energy. Um, where carbohydrates versus fats might be most effective. And then uh, I like the q and I think we should probably do more of those. So if anybody listening has questions that they want us to answer on the podcast, um, let's start doing like question boxes. Yeah. And we'll do Q&As. Yeah. Yeah, we'll do uh, listener Q&As. I think that would be really valuable. So cool. Sick. All right. Well, thank you to everyone who's tuned in to this episode of the Struggle to Strength podcast. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me on Instagram uh, or Facebook. Make sure you're in the Muscle Building Secrets Facebook group. If you do not have access or you not have gotten your copy of the Muscle Building Nutrition Strategies ebook, reach out to me. I will get you a link to download that. It is completely free. I think we're good here. Thanks again for tuning in. We will see you all next week. Yeah.